If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis 33, verses 1 through 20. Genesis 33, 1 through 20. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Likewise, Leah likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and say, so Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way for Paddan Aram, and he camped there, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we see ourselves walking before the face of God. Oh, Father, we confess that it is way too easy to lose touch with the personal, that your personal eyes are upon us as persons. 
that we're not just following a set of laws and principles, but we are following an embodiment of those laws and principles, an embodiment of perfection, of holiness and righteousness in the person of your son, our Lord Jesus. And thankfully, Lord, he is not just an example for us, though he is that, especially for those who know you. But we are even more thankful that he is a savior of sinners like us, because otherwise we would have no hope in keeping your laws and principles fully the way you demand that we should as your image bearers. But in your kindness, you gave us your son. So help us to see Jesus and him only. In his name we pray for his glory. Amen. Now, my family knows that I can be quite a bother watching movies. I hate spoilers. So if I'm ever watching a movie with you, I'm going to tell you now in this setting where I'm not being personal at all, please don't say, oh, here's the best part. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. But if you do, I'll forgive you. Because my thing is, is if you have questions about the story, let the story come to you. The reason why we engage in this is to go on the adventure along with the characters, if it's a decent movie. Let, and if, as I say, if, the, if, if you've seen the movie, let the story come to me, please. Now, in watching movies together as a family, there were some things that where there's evil present, like, say, in The Lord of the Rings or something like that. And my children wanted to get up and leave in the darkest parts, and I may have erred a little bit in letting them go through some of those, but I had a reason behind it. And my reason was is because movies like that illustrate something that we need to learn. That in the darkest parts of the movie, you need to go through that and feel the weight of that evil. Because evil always feels stronger. Good always feels weaker. Always at the beginning of the conflict. At the beginning of the conflict. It's a whole other story when it ends and who remains standing. God's, the main idea of this text is God's wisdom is given only in conflict and through conflict. And he leads us through that conflict to win in him. Now we all want to win. Let's not, just because you're not a competitive person, that's really, I, I would say that. I mean, I grew up as an only child. I didn't have a bunch of brothers around to, you know, always be competing with. And I, I would just kind of, if I couldn't like, get my skills up in, in athletics, I would just kind of lay back and let the... But in a sense, that's a strategy of winning, isn't it? It's the way I win. I go passive and work around and find my path of least resistance. That's my tendency. We all want to win. And God's saying, yes, you will win in me. So how does the Lord lead his covenant people through conflict? 
Well, he does it through intervening, leading us with wisdom for peace in diplomatic indication, definitive negotiation, and distinctive adoration. First, the Lord leads us with wisdom for peace with diplomatic indication, verses 1 through 11. And the takeaway from this is reflecting God's gracious dealing with you in how you approach others. So as Jacob approaches Esau here, and remember, last time he was sort of near Esau, he was skulking away, right? Getting out of there just in time as Esau came back and then hearing that Esau made a vow to himself to kill him the next time he saw him after his father died. So this is the uh-oh moment of the passage. And it looks hostile. Look at verses one and two. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming. That's where you start hearing that dark minor key tone in the movie, right? Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And those 400 men, that means a military, military, military retinue. So he divided the children and so forth. Now, a lot of times we, we say, you know, we use that verse and it's okay. I lift up my, this there in your sheet. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But the context of I lift up my eyes to the hills isn't because I see the beautiful hills and I'm looking up and I'm worshiping. No, it's actually, this is the place where marauders come. This is the place that ambush happens. I look up my eyes to the hills and I'm quaking in my boots, in other words. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this uh-oh moment, Jacob lifted up his eyes in verse one and looked and behold Esau, see? Wonder if the psalmist had this, this passage in mind when he wrote those words. Now Jacob is trying to indicate to Esau that I am for peace. There is a real sense that Jacob has learned his lesson here. He's been deceptive all along, but now he's like, well, I just got out of the frying pan with Laban and I'm going into the fire with Esau. I think I need to change my ways. Look at verse three. He himself went on before him, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This bowing was an indication of I am peace, I am for peace, and I'm, I'm laying myself down before you as your servant. He's trying to appease Esau's wrath and anger. Psalm 126 through seven says, too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. That's what he fears Esau is doing when he comes with these 400 men. And, and going down, he's, it's, what, it's along the lines of what Jesus says in Luke 14, 10. But when you are invited, meaning invited to a, he's telling a longer parable here about when you're invited to go to a banquet. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Do you see how this is about winning in him? 
See, we want to fight and claw, and we want to be in those places of, of significance and influence, whatever, wherever we define the parameters of our kingdom. Okay, Even if I go passive, I might have a kingdom in ways that I want things to go, but I'm just using a different strategy than the obvious competitive ones. Okay? In Romans 12, 18, there is a wisdom in doing this. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're not called to be a quarrelsome people. Now, we may have to be more quarrelsome at times, especially like today when truth is being challenged left and right all over the place. That's why Paul says, if possible, it is impossible. This is not, notice this is not saying be at peace all the time with people. That's not what it's saying. Your posture should be one of peace, but you never, ever compromise the standard. Never, ever compromise the truth. You can do that peacefully and gracefully, and they're going to do that here. But you don't back off one inch from that standard, from the standard of the word of God and the law of God. So there's the uh-oh moment, but then you have the unexpected wow moment. Look at verse four. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children. So he's, he's weeping. He's hugging him on his, hugging his, let me, you know, we say in the South, let me hug your neck. Right? That's exactly what's going on here. And then he lifts up and he sees these women and children. And I wonder if Jesus had this story in mind when he told the parable of the prodigal son. Look at Luke 15, 20. And he arose, meaning the prodigal son, and he came to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Literally, it's saying, and fell on his neck. He ran and fell on his neck and embraced him and kissed him. Embraced him, fell on his neck. The idea of the welcoming grace of God. Esau represents this for Jacob, we're going to talk about this for in a minute. Not, not in a full sense of the term. Because Esau, I believe here, is still seed of the serpent. He is not seed of the woman, like Genesis 3.15. He's not of God's people. And so Jacob goes in to showing foundational grace to Esau because grace means gifts. That's what... Grace is, it is God giving you a gift, by the way, that you didn't earn and that you don't deserve in any way, shape, or form. That's what we have to come to grips with as Christians. We don't deserve a single good thing. So if we're upright above ground and breathing, we have grace. So, it says at the rest of verse five, he, when he looked up and he saw those children, Esau said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children, look at how he puts it, whom God has graciously given your servant. Reflecting James 1, 17 through 18, every good and perfect and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice when he brought us forth, what that means is, is when he drew us to himself by his will and his power and his kindness and love, he called us to himself so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, meaning there is no first fruits on this earth when we all fell in our first father, Adam. But when he brings us forth, when he raises us from the dead spiritually and we have new life, we are that good and perfect gift and we've received that good and perfect gift from the father of lights in this dark world. And so as Jacob has received gracious gifts, he also graciously presents grace to Esau, verses six and seven. Then the servants drew near and they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. See, we don't have to be at loggerheads. Now, every situation demands certain things. I don't want to ever make these kind of, uh, sometimes applications can only go so far. There are situations in which we have to kind of meet Energy for energy. But we don't have to all the time. We can be gracious in our firm presentation of the truth. And you'll see how firm it is in a minute. So, um, Colossians 4, 5 through 6, Paul tells us, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is saying there, there are a variety of situations and you need wisdom from God's word and you need to pray and seek God and God graciously and liberally gives of his wisdom to us. And so um, in the next part, we see a blessing from grace in verses eight through 11. First of all, Jacob finds favor in Esau's sight. Verses eight and nine, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Now, what he's talking about there, remember in the last chapter, Esau, I mean, Jacob sent Esau with his, Jacob sent his servants a bunch of animals as gifts to Esau, right? And that's what he means. That's what he's referring to. What do you mean by all this company that I met? He's not talking about the, the women and the children and all that. Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Now, Lord here is, it means like I'm your servant, you're my Lord in the small L sense. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So he's saying, this is, you've shown me grace. That's why I brought that to you. And yes, I'm hoping to appease you with this gift. Because if there's conflict, at some point, you're either going to fight it out or you're going to find appeasement somewhere. And so what Jacob found is blessing in the face of grace. Look at verses 10 and 11. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in, in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. 
Now that's verse 10. Hold, hold that thought for a minute. Now why would he say something like this? Well, remember, he wrestled with God all night. Remember that one last week? Look at what happened in Genesis 32, 30. So after he got through wrestling and, and God left, in a sense, not fully. So Jacob called the name of the, of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The Lord will later tell Moses, no man sees my face and lives. Yet God let Jacob win that wrestling match. So God was prepping Jacob to meet Esau, who he was so afraid of. He told him, he was honest in his prayer. Remember in that sermon, Honest to God, a couple of weeks ago, Jacob was like, I fear Esau, my brother. So when Esau fell on his neck and embraced him, he was like, oh, it's like seeing the face of God, which I just saw and I got through that and I'm getting through this. This is amazing. Because God has a right to take us out. God has a right to put us in hell for eternity. He has every right to do that. He does not have to let anyone in heaven because he is perfectly content as the triune God in perfect fellowship and harmony in the society of the Trinity. But because God is rich in mercy, he gave you what you didn't deserve. And that's found in the next verse. He says, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. Now, why does he say, please accept this blessing? Because what did Jacob rob from Esau? His blessing. Way back in Genesis 27 when he fooled Isaac, right? Now this is the blessing returned. Let me give you something. He relinquished some, a good bit of his flock as Jesus in Philippians 2, it's not on your sheet, but it says that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead submitted himself to death, even death on a cross for you. In other words, he's, not, he's saying, not a, it's a thing to be grasped in the sense that we grasp it, but he had it in hand. And, he had, and it's not that he let go of his deity. He just let go of the privileges of that deity so that he could die in your place. So here, reflecting God's gracious dealing with you and how you approach others. Do you not see that in this exchange between Jacob and Esau? So God's, this is about God's wisdom given only in conflict that, in which he leads us through, through it to win in him. So how does the Lord lead us, his covenant people, uh, with wisdom for peace? We've seen the diplomatic in, indication and we move now into definitive negotiation. Now, this is where we stay firm to our convictions. The takeaway is recognizing God's gracious claiming of you as you engage others. So this is the slow your roll moment. And so saying, speaking the language of the young people today. I means kind of slow down. He's telling Esau, he's kind of setting a boundary with Esau. Yes, I want to appease you, but I want you to slow down. 
Because Esau, these are natural bonds. There's nothing wrong with what Esau says here. He says, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. All right, this is, that's in verse 12. In verses 13 through 14, though, Jacob says this, and he does this kindly. He doesn't just get in his face. He's really thinking on his feet here. Kind of that it's kind of the good side of what he's learned through manipulation. Now it's kind of, wait, I got to think on my feet. I don't want to harm my brother. I don't want to shame him, but I don't think I can go be with him because we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, as 2 Corinthians 6, 14, not unequally yoked with unbelievers. So thinking on his feet, Jacob says, my Lord knows that the children are frail, which is true, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. That's true. And if they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. I don't know if they'll all die, but they might get sick. And eventually die. Say so it's not totally perfect, but he's trying to. What he's trying to do here is to preserve, graciously preserve the dignity of his brother. And then he says the gracious distinction, verse fourteen: "Let my lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock with the children till I come to my lord in Seir." Now he never gets there, so I don't know about that. I really don't know. Maybe he intended to go just to visit a little bit, but then he changes his mind. We just don't know. It's not in the text. But notice what Proverbs, he's living out Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So he has a slow your roll moment, and then he comes to the you do you moment. This is the real definitive boundary. So Esau says, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, this verse 15, but he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Now, is he being rude here? Is Jacob being rude? Well, no, he's just saying, look, if I take from you now, we're even, right? Then I'm gonna be beholden to you. Strings are always attached with these things, right? I just did this to cut the, cut the strings, okay? So there are natural results. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. So there it is, it's the definitive break with unbelievers. Now, not that you can't have relations. He could go on talking to him. He's just saying, I don't want to live in this bond because I know at some point we will come to loggerheads again because you're not of the people of God. Even in the prophecy, remember, God said to, to Rebecca, the older shall serve the younger. Okay? So we come away from this recognizing God's claiming of you. This is about your definitive Identity, his definitive claiming of you as you engage others. You can't forget that as you engage others in the world. Be gracious, yes, but always have in the forefront of your mind that you belong to him, not to these people around you. These people here, yes. God's people, yes. But you do not belong to the people in the world. So God's wisdom, here's this passage, God's wisdom given only in conflict to lead us through conflict, to win in him. How does he lead his people through conflict? For wisdom, with wisdom for peace and diplomatic indication, definitive negotiation, and finally distinctive adoration. The takeaway is reinforcing your commitment to God's gracious claim on you as you move on. He comes to a let's regroup moment in verses 18 and 19. And where he regroups in verse 18 is at Shechem, 
If you remember, Shechem was the first stop of Abraham when he first entered the promised land in Genesis 12. Look there in Genesis 12, 6. Abram passed through the land of, to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At the time, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he was claiming the land. Now we're back to ground zero again, is basically what, this, what God's telling in this story. But it's not ground zero, is it? Because now we have this big family. It's growing. And God is doing this. And he's camping out, but he's not getting campy. Verse 19. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. In other words, even though God's given me this land, I am not going to get all campy here and think that I can just, well, I can live here. No, he tries to live at peace with all men and he pays the price for the land. Look at what Proverbs 11.1 1 says. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. This is referring to the way things were exchanged. If I give you so much weight in uh, whatever it is, and you give me the same thing in return, that's what it's talking about. The proper exchange. Now we do it in dollars and cents. So he has the uh, let's regroup moment and finally the let's get back moment. We're settled in Shechem. So there he erected an altar in verse 20. Remember, God came down to him in Genesis 28. You see that there listed. The, and it was in verse 13 there. And behold, the Lord stood above the, the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. So the Lord came down to Jacob. Therefore, he reflects back up to God. And what he says is, God, you came down to me. My identity is settled because he called the name of that altar, that place of that altar, El Eloi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean Israel, the country at this point. He means me. Remember, God changed his name. My identity is settled. It is exclusive. The God, not a God, not a God among gods, but the God of Israel. And why is his identity settled? Because he had a personal overhaul is what he had when he wrestled with God and hung on and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so he has a new name. His name means one who wrestles with God. And the Lord added, and prevails and wins. And look at he calls him. Even though this is formal, there's a formal act of worship here. It's also very personal. He's calling him my God, God, the God of Israel, my God. So reinforcing your commitment to God's gracious claim on you as you move on from conflict. In conclusion, conflict is scary because we do fear evil. It always looks bigger, more powerful and darker than it really is. Although it can do some real damage in this life. Each and every conflict is an opportunity to relearn the unseen, unexpected truth. The through line of this passage is the grace of the gospel, granting grace and wisdom to you for peace. As this old rock group I used to listen to said, darkness is just a speck in the light. John put it this way, in him, meaning the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus before he was incarnate. In him was life. 
Life was in him. In other words, he was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So the idea of the darkness overcoming, you know, in that spot in the movie when it all looks dark and evil looks so strong, Jesus poked that hole right in that darkness and showed his light in your heart. And he says, I'm leaving you here to shine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to clear away the brush, to clear away the weeds of our heart, the weeds of sin. And we ask your forgiveness. We are so sorry. We love you, Father. We don't express it perfectly. We're so thankful that you are kind and gracious. Help us not only to worship you correctly, but to stand firm in the truth and yet be gracious in presenting it. In Jesus' name, amen.